You get a phone call that changes everything. There was the me before my brother died in prison. And there's me now. We lost him. But we also lost so much more. That was Donna Mooney speaking about her brother, Tommy Nicholl. Tommy was serving an IPP sentence, and when his tariff expired and he still wasn't released from prison, he took his own life. Should we have a look at Tommy's exhibition? Yes. Today I've travelled to Brixton to visit an exhibition highlighting the stories of people who have died whilst in custody. It has been organised by the charity Inquest, and I've come to meet the director of Inquest, Deborah Coles. We're at the 198 Gallery in Brixton, where we have got a photography exhibition which is focusing on the loved ones of those who've died as a result of state violence or neglect. It's made up of people who've been directly affected um, and it's portraits of the families and then photographs um, that they have pulled together to remember their, their loved one. We have a portrait of Donna, Tommy's sister, and then the portrait of a bike with a jacket over it. And I think it's quite a powerful image. And in particular, she talks about the brutality of suicide, another victim of the IPP sentence. This is Trapped, episode five. I'm Sam Asamadu, and today we're hearing Donna and Tommy's story. This episode is dedicated to the memory of the people serving IPP sentences who have died whilst in prison. I'm looking at, well, it's a bike with something covered over it and this bright red ground that it's lying on. What what am I looking at? What Donna has described is the Wheel of Pain 2022. And she remembers the fact that it was Tommy, her older brother, who taught her how to ride her bike um, hence the, the the bike the blue bike the the red background and then I th- believe that's a, a, a cycling a red cycling jacket Tommy was just one of many the total number of IPP serving prisoners who had taken their own lives by the end of 2022 was 81 what struck me first of all when um, Donna started working with us was She was another example of a family member who was determined to find out the truth about how Tommy had died and expose the conditions behind his death and in particular the impact on his physical and mental health of the IPP sentence. She was determined to try and use the evidence that came out of the inquest to I suppose, raise greater awareness about the Kafkaesque nature of a, of a sentence which has kind of no end um, and the sense of hopelessness and despair that that generates amongst IPP prisoners. This is just so wrong on any level, like, on any level. And so my reasoning for, for being involved in this is to, to try and stop other people dying like my brother did and to try and make some positive come out of such an awful situation for my brother and for my family. Donna's brother Tommy was serving an IPP sentence for robbery. 
He was given a minimum tariff of four years, but had been in prison for six years when he took his life. Since then, Donna has been involved in setting up the campaigning organisation UNGRIP to raise the issue of the plight of IPP-serving prisoners and advocate for policy change in Parliament. Here's Donna to tell more about the circumstances surrounding Tommy's death, the deterioration of his mental health and the toll that his time spent in segregation had upon him. A warning here that what follows throughout this episode includes descriptions of self-harm and suicide. He didn't really know, understand it to start with, but obviously as the years went on, he then did start to understand it and obviously tried to explain that to us. Uh, he was very well behaved in, in the four years, although he ended up being six years, but in the first four years, you know, he was an enhanced prisoner, working in the kitchens, you know, do, trying, trying desperately to get on the rehabilitation courses that were expected of him, which actually probably would have helped him. And he was just moved around. He was moved from prison to prison. You know, he kept, still kept trying. Um, his files were lost. Places were closed. You know, there were so many issues um, and failures, really, around that. And um, he got his first knockback. He still kept trying after that. The first knockback, they said he had to try and get into a therapeutic community, which he spent four years trying to do. He was self-harming. Uh, again, he was moved, um, which happens quite often when people are in segregation for a long period of time. They move them to a new prison because there's rules around how long you're allowed to keep someone in segregation. So rather than giving them the right support, they just move them to another prison, um, which happened to him. Um, and then he died a week later after that move. His mental health just deteriorated really badly and he was treated terribly. People in the prison thought he was making it up and pretending. He was restrained a lot. He was put in unfurnished cells for long periods of time, which further impact mental health. I saw that, um, and obviously, like the end result shows that. And and he was kept in there. I think there's that they're meant to review it after 24 hours. He was kept in there for two days, and told to behave himself. He could come out. That's what he was told by someone. Absolutely. And then he killed himself. And 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 I mean, it's, it's because he just couldn't cope anymore. The IPP is so damaging, but then how people are treated on it are even further damaging. Like, he was told to behave himself when he was in the middle of a mental health crisis. It was so extreme. Like, all the report, all the notes were saying it's very odd behaviour. It's so extreme. It's really unusual. I've never seen behaviour like this. But then on that hand, and then on the other hand, he's being told to behave himself. The reality of Tommy is that um, he received an IP sentence with a minimum term of four years, but at the time of his death, he'd served six years with no immediate hope of being released. And what I was struck by is the fact that one of the psychiatrists who gave evidence at his inquest described how the sentence had contributed to his death more than anything else, as it had made him lose hope. And I think it is that hopelessness and, and, and despair that is what is resulting in the really shocking number of deaths of IPP prisoners. He hung himself and he didn't die straight away. He was taken to hospital, he was unconscious. He was put in uh, handcuffs and then taken to hospital in handcuffs and they were kept on. He was sedated, they kept the handcuffs on him. Um, and the doctors were asking to have them taken off, and they wouldn't. Eventually they did, and then, and then they put them back on him again, but he was fully sedated. <laughs> anyway, he was in hospital, I think, I can't remember, is it three, three days? 
and then he died. And none of our family were told um, until the day they decided to take his turn off his machines. So we were only informed that evening and they'd already turned his machines off that day. So he died on his own essentially with no family around him. That's why I'm involved in the IPP because I don't want other people to suffer like my, my family have and my brother has. And I think knowing what this did to him and knowing that that's still happening to other people is horrendous. What does um, Inquest as an organisation do? So we work with families um, bereaved after a death in custody or detention, so deaths at the hands of the police, in prisons, in mental health settings, immigration detention. We help families navigate the legal processes that follow a death that can often be extremely complex and protracted. And from the evidence that we get from the inquests and inquiries that are carried out, we use that evidence to try and lobby for change because every family that we work with says that what they want to try and do is stop another family going through a similar experience. And many of the deaths that we work on raise much broader concerns about issues around how we treat some of the most vulnerable people in our society. Prison will always be the place he died. All of the memories we have of him as a kid, as a brother, all of those now have a shadow over them. And he died in a prison. Inquest has worked on other cases of IPP prisoner deaths. One of them is Charlotte Noakes, a talented young artist who described her sentence to her family as a death sentence. Deborah told me more about Charlotte's case. So she died from a sudden arrhythmic um, death syndrome. The significance of her death is that she was sentenced to an IPP sentence with a minimum term of 15 months, but at the time of her death, she'd been in prison for over eight and a half years. She'd got mental and physical ill health, and in the months leading up to her death, she was prescribed um, heavy doses of, of medication to treat her mental health and, and physical health heavily sedated, um, she was a risk of self-harm and suicide and she died and there is no doubt in the minds of the, of the family that her death was directly contributable to the trauma um, of that indefinite um, sentence and her fear that she'd never be released from prison. A psychologist who worked with her in the months before she died told the inquest jury that during a therapy session before her death, Charlotte had expressed a lot of frustration at the never-ending sentence of an IPP prison sentence. And I think her father summed it up when he said that, you know, she had many struggles in life, was beaten up for being different, and she'd experienced mental ill health and prison was never the best place for her, and that indefinite sentence only made that worse. And Charlotte was an artist, wasn't she? She was an exceptionally um, brilliant artist, actually, and with her family's permission, we used some of her drawings to illustrate one of our inquest publications about the deaths of women in prison, um, which is an area we've done a lot of policy and campaigning work around. I mean, you know, because I think a lot of our work is about 
trying to affect meaningful change and dramatically uh, reducing the prison population and reinvesting some of the money we pump into failing prisons and putting that money in community services like mental health services, addictions, housing, homelessness. Because one of the things it's very clear when you hear the stories of those who die in prison is that the solutions really, you know, we, we're using prison as a kind of, as a way of dealing with what are ultimately kind of social issues. If we invested more in community alternatives, I think we would not have such a shocking death toll. And of course, the IPP sentence is one that everybody now recognises is utterly inhumane. Launched in 2020, on the eighth anniversary of the IPP sentence's abolition, the campaign group UnGrip stands for United Group for the Reform of IPPs. I asked Donna how it came about. I think when, when someone dies, you look for connections to other people. And because of the impact that the sentence had on my brother and was essentially the reason that he took his own life, um, I kind of started to reach out to other family members who, who had loved ones on the sentence to, to try and understand it a bit more. And I knew that I, I wanted to, to, to make sure that what happened to my brother was heard by people in Parliament and seen, and, and for them to be aware that, it's, that he's not alone in that, that it's happening to other people. And so, you know, I began um, connecting with different family members, initially through social media, and then kind of following on from that, you know, phone calls and so on and so forth, um, and people on the sentence who are in the community. I think personally, I think to try and help gives me some level of uh, comfort. I think the work that UnGrip have done um, has been so, so important because I think it's raised significant parliamentary awareness of an issue that for too long has remained unseen. What she has done, I think, extremely well is she's made this a cross-party issue. She's brought parliamentarians together from all different parties um, who recognise that the situation is absolutely unacceptable. We just brought all resources together in one place and what's transpired is UNGRIP has become this campaign um, which is, has become much bigger and much stronger than we ever expected it to and I suspect part of that's because we, ha we try and make sure that like we have the families and the people on the sentence at the heart of everything that we do because we are the families and the people who've been affected by it. I think because of that there's a strength in that and, and then we've, we've tied into that, you know, parliamentary work, briefing papers, reports, all around the voices of the people who've been affected by it, because that's where the strength is. I mean, one of the things that, that Donna and other family members have done around the IPP um, sentence is to really evoke its cruelty and the psychological torture that, you know, indefinite detention means. I mean, you've, you know, you put yourselves in the, in the shoes of a prisoner who is locked up in their cell day after day after day with no meaningful out-of-cell activity or access to friends and family. You know, that would affect anybody's mental health, let alone people who have no idea when they're ever going to get out of that situation. You know, that's the, the, the hopelessness and despair that we've talked about. These are people's lives and that's, this is happening to people every day. They need to be heard and there's strength in that. 
it's harder for um, someone to say you're lying about your experience. You know, they can do that with stats. You can play around with that and say, well, this actually doesn't say this, it says this. But when it's someone's experience, you can't do that. So the strength that is held in that is essentially is what is at the heart of Hungrip. And, 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 and that's always kind of been our, our focus of like making sure that we trying to help people ha have their voices heard properly. Uh, Donna Mooney shared with us the experience of her brother, Tommy Nicholl. This is Sir Bob Neill, the Conservative MP and Chair of the Justice Select Committee. The committee gathered extensive evidence from stakeholders, including Donna, for their report and recommendations to the government on IPPs, which was published in September 2022. Uh, Donna told us of the difficulties her brother Tommy faced with enrolling onto courses he needed to complete to demonstrate progression and with accessing accessing mental health support. He often told her and his family uh, that the sentence was, quotes, psychological torture, end quotes. I asked Sir Bob Neill to tell me more about the evidence he'd gathered while putting their report on IPPs together. Some of the evidence that we have heard does demonstrate, or certainly suggests to us very strongly, uh, from qualified and experienced psychologists in this field and psychiatrists, that there is frequently uh, a link uh, between an indeterminate sentence and a loss of hope, which in turn gives way to mental health issues, which can manifest itself either in self-harming or suicidal tendencies, or a general sense of depression into which people can fall. Once again, this is a stark illustration of the way that the IPP sentence makes prisoners ill, therefore preventing their release. It's the desperate catch-22 of the IPP sentence, and a theme that we explored in the last episode of the series. Inquest also presented evidence to the Justice Select Committee for this report. Deborah told me more about this. Why did yourself and Inquest decide to submit evidence to the Justice Committee? I think what, what was clear from our work with families and our monitoring of the evidence that came out is that the IPP sentence was resulting in preventable deaths in prison and we wanted to try and you know, apply that kind of pressure on um, the government to address this kind of enduring human rights issue, you know, ultimately. Are you surprised that the government rejected the sort of main recommendation, which was for resentencing? Sadly, sadly not, because I think this government has got a very poor track record when it comes to um, issues around people in, in prison and, and justice issues more generally. What I think has really annoyed and frustrated me is that, you know, we have got such a body of evidence and we have got politicians and experts from across, you know, uh, political parties all pleading for something to be done to, to end the inhumanity of this sentence. And yet the government, I think, are more concerned with the potential backlash from, you know, the right-wing media than they are about doing what is right and just and to end, uh, you know, to end a really shocking injustice. So in the evidence that I read um, that you submitted, you mentioned the coroner in case B um, had informed the prison minister that they must act to prevent other IPP prisoners dying in a similar way. He also said the prison system is inadequate to meet the needs of IPP prisoners. Do you remember if there was a response from the prison's minister at that time? I think one of the problems that there is with recommendations that come out of inquests is that there is no proper mechanism to follow up 
and analyse what action has actually been taken by those organisations to whom those reports are made. And too often those recommendations gather dust. And one of the things I think with IPP prisoners is that there has been an overwhelming body of evidence that has been reported to prison ministers, successive prison ministers and secretaries of state, but they have simply lacked the political will to do anything about it. And this is why I describe this sentence as Kafkaesque, because you know, you, that people are in a, you know are in complete limbo. They're in a no-win situation. And I do think that is accounting for the high levels of self-harm and self-inflicted deaths that we see and also premature deaths because people's health is, is affected deeply by it as well. The self-harm rate for IPP prisoners is double that of other life sentence prisoners and almost double that of determinately sentenced prisoners. I speak to people on the sentence every week who are still in prison and I hear it in their voices. Like I, I, like from the, from when I first began contact with them to now, I've seen the damage it's doing. Um, you know, we hear it from people all the time, and that and those are the voices. And then when you look at the stats, that shows you too. I mean, I think last year had the worst number of suicides that there's ever been since the IPP was was began. began. I think the average is like three or six a year. Nine people killed themselves last year on this sentence. I mean, these are people, these are people's lives. And there's no doubt in my mind that all of those would be because of the sentence. There's no doubt. There was a newspaper article, I think last year, where someone had written, I'm free now, I'm free on their stomach, and then they killed themselves. How desperate does someone have to be to do that? Inquest has worked on 30 um, deaths of IPP prisoners, of which 25 were self-inflicted. And we know that already this year, 2023, there have been other significant self-inflicted deaths. This is an issue that is ongoing and I think, you know, deaths will continue until we see the policy um, change that's so needed in terms of reviewing everybody who is on an IPP and ultimately ending what is just such such an unacceptable and, and I think a sentence that is resulting in unnecessary death. At some point I read something that really kind of surprised me. Often, or at least sometimes, the IPP sentence is deemed not relevant in the death of a prisoner. And the words that were really shocked me was, and was not allowed to be discussed. Why? How does that happen? It's a really important question, and, and I, would, you know, I would argue that any death of an IP prisoner, in my view, um, must be looked at holistically, and that should include the impact that that sentence had on people's health, both physical and mental. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting that you should say that because, I mean, it would seem to me that, that it should be taken into account. I spoke to Professor Graham Towell, a forensic psychologist and former chief psychologist at the Ministry of Justice, for his views on the inquest process for IPP deaths. It seems critical to me, particularly, you know, given some of the evidence that the, the sentence itself is most likely psychologically harmful. It, you know, in that case, it would, it would seems rather odd to me that, it, that it's not taken into account. Um, uh, you know, odd to the point of iniquitous. I'll be honest, I had to look up the meaning of iniquitous. It means immoral or grossly unfair. 
This underlines the importance of an open and transparent inquest process, as Deborah highlighted to me. You know, when a death happens behind closed walls of institutions, you know, families are in a really difficult position because they are completely reliant on those institutions for answers as to what's happened. And so the inquest becomes really important in that search for the truth. The families that we work with will say that they want the answers, but also they want to try and ensure that there is learning, that there is accountability, but most of all, that there is systemic change. And that's why I think the, the issue about IPP sentences is just, you know, it's so unacceptable that we're still having to demand that, that change um, from government when the evidence is, is so clear. And the fact that, you know, we're talking about a sentence that was abolished in 2012, and yet we still have thousands of IPP prisoners locked up. And I thought what was particularly moving is the fact that actually there have been suicides since the government's response. This is the Labour MP, John McDonnell, at a recent political debate about IPPs, highlighting the tragic impact that the IPP sentence continues to have on those affected by it. According to the Independent Monitoring Board, three IPP suicides occurred in the four weeks after the Justice Committee's recommendation for resentencing was rejected by the government in March 2023. What this sentence has done continuously is create a sense of hopelessness amongst the, the individuals concerned, pushing many of them over the edge into with men, mental health conditions, breakdowns and then suicides. Politicians from all parties recognise and are highlighting the harms of the sentence. I wondered if the architects of the IPP ever reflect upon the grim legacy of the sentence. So I put this question to Lord David Blunkett when I met him recently in the House of Lords. Just lastly, I, I've been talking to a former IPP prisoner who's based in, in Birmingham. He asked, how do you feel about the people that have taken their own lives and the thousands that are now mentally ill because the sentence made them feel hopeless and it's been proven to have caused acute harm? I think it's an impossible question for me to answer, is, is the honest truth. Mm -hmm. um, I, I took decisions as Home Secretary which were incredibly difficult, dealing with counter-terrorism, dealing with people who committed the most heinous crimes, um, and dealing with people who, understandably, were not only bitter, but actually, on occasions, hated what I'd done. I, ha I have to live with that. That's part of having done what has been described by a number of Prime Ministers as the most difficult job in government. And... Uh, I live with that. UNGRIP works with politicians such as Lord Blunkett and many others behind the scenes. I asked Donna to tell me more about the UNGRIP campaign. Our drive is always legal routes and parliament. Those are the two routes that we believe will lead to change at some point. And so continue to keep the pressure up in parliament to make sure the Lords and MPs are fully aware of what's happening, asking families and people on the sentence to continue to engage with them and push, put pressure on to use the Justice Select Committee report, because that report isn't going anywhere, and it's a really strong report. It's cross-party, it's, it's been put together by MPs. The evidence that was input into that was from 
people with lived experience, so family members and those on the sentence, a huge amount of evidence, in fact, that stands and that's not going anywhere. By continuing that, when the moment is right, the change will happen. Well, not when the moment is right, because the moment should be now, but when the right people are in place, then that will happen. Media, campaigners, prison reform organisations, everyone pushing in the same direction is, is, is having that impact. And it's just, hopefully, people will continue to do that. We'll end this episode with a tribute to Tommy, read by Donna. Dear Tommy... This is a letter that Donna wrote to Tommy, which was exhibited next to the picture of Tommy's bike at the inquest exhibition. I still can't believe that you are gone and that you've been taken from us in such a horrific and painful way. Suicide is brutal, but suicide at the hands of the state, whilst in prison, adds another layer of cruelty, especially when you were pushed to it in the way that you were. Another victim of the IPP sentence. You were and still are my older brother, With less than two years between us, we were so close. When I think of you, so many things come to mind, but the one memory that stands out is when you taught me to ride my bike. I would have been about six, and you would have been about seven. We were standing at the top of a steep road, and you were holding onto the back of the bike that I was sitting on. I was so scared, but you encouraged me to go down, and I managed to do it. You cheered so much for me on that day and was so happy that I achieved something I was scared to do. This was one of the many times you were there for me. Despite you only being a little older, you always took care of me and tried to protect me. Tommy, in your last hours of need, I was not able to be with you, to hold you, to tell you things would be okay, to protect you. I hope despite being alone, that even in those last hours, you knew how much you were loved by so many but especially by me. We walked a long road together and shared so many memories that will tie us together forever. I love you with all of my heart, your little sister Donna. If you want to get in touch, you can find me and the team on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or TikTok at trapped underscore pod. If you want to do something, you can tell a friend to listen to this series. Knowledge is power, and the more who know, the harder it is for injustice to take place. If you want to do something more active, you can write your MP and tell them to raise questions about IPP prisoners in Parliament. Some campaigners have started a petition hosted on the UK government website. Search the hashtag Justice for IPPs for more info and the link. Please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and stay tuned for a new episode dropping soon.